0: It should be about five or ten seconds, hopefully, not too painful. All right, you ready? What did you have for lunch on Tuesday? Go. Hmm. Just to call one person out, John Clute, um, what'd you have? I didn't know. Good job. Thank you. Um, I have been racking my brain trying to remember what I had for lunch on Tuesday. That's why I picked Tuesday, because I have no like, memory at all of what I ate. And maybe some of you, when you heard that, you're like, oh, easy. I eat the same thing every day. No change, easy. Some of you, maybe you had a special occasion. I had a couple of lunch meetings this week. I remember what I had at those special lunch meetings. Or maybe you had a friend come in from out of town and you had lunch with them and you remember. Or maybe you were on one of those eating plans where you write down everything you eat and you just know because you're paying attention. But isn't it interesting that you can go by just a few days away and forget what you ate? Well, here's my observation that we eat to nourish our bodies, and sometimes we do that automatically. And as a result, we have no memory of it. It's interesting. So today we're talking about how to church and our four rhythms here on Sunday mornings in our worship gathering, the gathering, the invocation, the word, the table today, and the benediction. And the table is the center of our worship. It's where everything points to, you know, we sing songs, we talk, and it all points to this moment at the table where we come and dine with Jesus and have a meal together. So a meal with Jesus. Over the past 10 years, which is amazing and fun, you can just do the math quickly, we've had over 500 times that we've come to worship and have come to the table. And so there's a rhythm and a pattern and a place that just gets established in our lives because of that. And I imagine for many of those Sundays, they were similar to your Tuesday lunch where you have no recollection or memory of coming to the table. I mean, you know, yes, I generally walked up front and did the activity and received communion. But it wasn't spectacular. But there were some t- times you came to the table and you do remember Something happened. The transaction meeting and dining with Jesus happened, and it, it is stuck with you. It's fascinating. So as you go off into lunch today, you can have this conversation question. How is your Tuesday lunch and the communion table similar? Or in what ways is it different? Talk about that at lunch. Well, this morning, I want to start with the big picture of the table, the how we at Platt Park Church come to the table. And if you've been here many times, 500 or so, you are very familiar. And if you're here for the first time today, this may be new in how we do it. But we come every week, we gather at the table, and we set the table with the words of institution that Paul laid out for us in his instructing us how to do um, the table of communion. Here's what Paul said to the Corinthian church. Familiar words here on Sunday morning. And so we, in the words of institution, we set the table, we invite the communion servers to come and prepare the stations, and we invite you to come and dine with Jesus. Tear off some bread, you dip it in the cup, and you receive communion in that way. So that's the how we participate in the table. But this morning I want to talk about some of the various aspects of what is communion. What is communion? Well, first, communion is a sacrament. Sacrament, a nice big church word. And a sacrament defined long ago by Augustine is simply this, an outward sign of an inward grace that has been instituted by Jesus Christ. So this idea that there's this physical activity we're doing, but it represents an invisible inward activity that's happening inside of us spiritually with God. So we observe the two sacraments of baptism and communion, and both of these have outward expressions that represent something that's happening inside, invisible, in our spiritual lives. And by telling us to baptize and come to the table of communion, Jesus made a promise. He said, when you do these things, when you set aside time and space and do this, I will meet you there. In fact, it is a means of grace, a unique place where we come to the table, Jesus pours out grace in a unique way. Now, grace is happening all over in different ways, but this is a unique way that Jesus instructed us to participate in. Well, second, and what is communion? Simply need to know that there are many words used for the table of communion. Right? In Plypart Church, we say the table of communion, but if you look in the scriptures, there's a whole bunch of words like, Eucharist, which is simply the Greek word for thanksgiving. When you come to the table, you're coming with thanksgiving. Thankful that Jesus laid down his life and rose again for us in our salvation. Also, another word you see in the scriptures is the Lord's Supper. The idea that we're eating and dining together with Jesus. Or holy communion, or just simply communion, or we say the table of communion. Then also another reference is simply the breaking of bread, that that symbolic thing of breaking bread is indicating it's this activity of coming to the table to dine with Jesus. So there's lots of language, but third, beyond just the different words used, there's a whole bunch of different understandings as well of what is actually happening here at the table. It's very fascinating, Right? that this whole idea of communion is that there's a spiritual transaction happening, something invisible happening. Grace is being poured out. But how that mechanically works is a mystery. And so different traditions kind of answer that mystery in a few different ways. And if you just imagine that in church history, everybody agrees that Jesus says, hey, come to the table of communion. And they all agree that at the table of communion, grace is poured out. But we don't agree exactly in the mechanics. So if you just imagine the stage as a spectrum, you know, over here you have transubstantiation. It's a good word, ordained people know. And uh, (laughs) over here, transubstantiation is the idea that the bread and the wine miraculously, by God's work, become the body and blood of Jesus. And by eating that, we bring in the actual grace of God into our lives, and it nourishes us spiritually. Okay, so it becomes the body and blood of Jesus, actually. But you can take a step over, you know, the next tradition, the sacramental union. They say that the bread and wine stay bread and wine, but Jesus is infinitely close, right around the bread and wine. So infinitely close, you can't even really separate him from it. And so when you take that in, you're being nourished in that way. Keep going down the line, and the spectrum is probably where we fall, that this is just bread and wine, it stays that, and in this activity, this ritual, Jesus, in his real presence, is right here with us. That Jesus is here, that we come to dine with him at the table. And you can keep going down the line, that other traditions say, yep, that is just bread and wine, and this is all just a symbolic act of remembering. You know, nothing more substantial happens other than this powerful thing of remembering that Jesus died and he rose again, and that is what has made a difference in our lives. So just remembering. So there's a spectrum throughout history and how different churches slice that. But the whole point is that here at the table, a meal is being served Where Jesus meets us, and he pours out his grace to nourish us spiritually. That's a pretty amazing thing, that God wants to eat a meal with you and me. You know, you think about just having lunch with me. What happens in that lunch transaction? You know, probably we eat some food which nourishes our bodies, which you have to do every day. But hopefully there's some conversation that happens. I mean, I hope that in interacting with me that there's something that lifts you up and makes you feel like a a human being and a person who's known and cared for and all that. And something happens in that relationship over lunch. And in that same way, God wants to have a meal with us. God wants that interaction with us, that transaction of just sharing together. That it, in in that moment, God is there, you are there, and God is nourishing you through that. And it all seems so simple, doesn't it? It's just about bread and wine, and it's so simple, and I've been trying to think about how to make this more profound and astounding and beyond just bread and wine. But it's astounding in and of itself that God wants to eat with you. And you can take that home for you. Think about this week, just imagine God wants to eat with me. He wants to have a meal with me. Just let that be the profound thing. You know, throughout the scriptures, God wanting to have meals with people is everywhere. It's a huge theme in scripture. So if you look back in the Old Testament, you know, God set up all these festivals to help the people of Israel remember these acts of God and God's life with them. And so, you know, the Passover is a meal that you eat and you share. And in that, there's something place that God meets you in that meal. Or even think about the whole sacrificial system is a lot about eating. You know, in particular, think about the um, one particular sacrifice thing that ordained people know, peace offering, <laughs> the peace offering, where a part of that you give to God and a part of it you eat. Isn't that interesting? That It's a meal. It's a transaction in that meal. Keep going forward with Jesus. Jesus, all over the Gospels and the story of Jesus' life is food and eating and meals. In fact, Jesus' first miracle had to do with food, in particular, wine. If you remember the story, Jesus um, was at a wedding, and in the wedding feast, they ran out of wine, and so what Jesus made more wine. Now, Think about how luxurious that miracle was. I mean, nobody died that needed to be raised back to life. Nobody was sick that needed to be healed. They just ran out of wine. And Jesus met them in that and made more so that the party wouldn't end, so that the people would stay together, so that the celebration would continue. Just how powerful it is to think that God wanted to be a part of that celebration. So Jesus making wine was a miracle. Now, for us, what do we do? Why a meal? You think about, why a meal? God could have chose all kinds of different things, but why does he want to eat with you? You think about eating in a meal, what it is. It's about provision. It's about God providing and nourishing you. So just as our bodies need food and we eat to be nourished, here with God, there's a provision of God providing something that our spiritual lives, our souls need to be nourished and fed. Think also about a meal as a place where you slow down. A meal slows us down. Even if you're just going to grab something on the go, you still have to set down and set aside the things you're doing to grab that food and to eat it. And so God wants to participate with us in that slowing down and that paying attention. And then you imagine even more so when you gather around a table and you really slow down and you look across the table and look at each other in the eye and you hear their stories and you share your stories. In that place, God wants to meet with us. You think about how that happens around the table. What that creates is intimacy, intimacy. There's intimacy that God wants to have with us that's personal, relational, and real. So the table of communion is a place that God has set aside as special. It's different than everything else we do in the church. You know, it is a sacrament. It's set apart as this unique place where God pours out grace. You know, we can, at church, sing songs and look at the scriptures and pray prayers and um, do acts of service. But all those things are different than coming to the table. Because when you come to the table, you come to receive. You come to look face-to-face with Jesus and receive from him this pouring out of grace and to be nourished. And that spiritual transaction takes place at the table. And it's powerful in our lives and how it nourishes us. Just as food nourishes our body, we need to come to the table to be nourished for our souls. In thinking about communion, it's interesting that communion also represents all of time, past, present, and future. All of time exists right here at the table. And you think about Jesus saying, do this In remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember this thing that I did in the past that was done, is now finished, and now you are living from. So when you remember, we are remembering Jesus' body broken, his blood poured out, we're remembering his resurrection, and that is the center of everything we do. You think about it, we can remember God in creation and the story. We can remember Jesus' teaching about the Good Samaritan. You know, we can remember a lot of things in what we do here. But the center is that Jesus died and rose again. And that defines all those other things. That gives definition to all the stories. It's the thing that points to Jesus. And it's the place where we find our life. And without it, it all kind of breaks down. So at the table, we remember Jesus' body broken, his blood poured out. We remember his resurrection. But second, at the table, we are present to the presence of Jesus, that Jesus rose again. He's alive. He ascended to heaven, and he's active here amongst us. And so we're present to the presence of Jesus right here. Not just something that happened in the past or some hope in the future, but right here today, Jesus is inviting us to come and dine with him. Now, we come in whatever circumstances we're in, and that's what we bring with us to the table. And Jesus meets us right there and pours out what we need in that moment, in that circumstance. And finally, the future is in the table because even for Jesus, he had the future in mind when, he, at the Last Supper. He said, For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine till the kingdom of God comes again. And so we join Jesus in looking forward to this day when God brings completion to all things. When he, when he brings his kingdom fully and completely and he takes the throne of reign and rule over all things. So we come and celebrate that, and even in Paul's words of institution, we end with that great line, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. There's a proclamation in the participation that we are looking to the future, that we have a hope that because Jesus died and rose again, we have a hope that he will come again. And that puts all of our life and all of our circumstances into a perspective of knowing that God has us in this moment, and he's bringing us into the future. John Frame, in his systematic theology, writes this. We eat only tiny bits of bread and drink little cups of wine, for we know that our fellowship with Christ in this life cannot begin to compare the glory that awaits us in him. I love that quote that we just need a little tiny bit to remember and to remind us that there's something way bigger and greater that we're tapping into. So we just need a little tiny bit of bread to remind us and remember that Jesus was broken, his blood was poured out, and he rose from the dead. We just need a little tiny taste of wine to remember that Jesus is right here with me right now in presence. And we know in that tasting of the bread and the wine that it just lifts our eyes to remember and look forward into the future that God is going to restore all things and that we are joining Him in waiting and looking for that glory to come. A couple years ago, my brother asked me, Do you remember the Super Bronc? And of course I did. That was a little motorcycle thing. I think we have a photo. That is not the one that we rode around on because it definitely was not crashed as many times as we crashed. But he asked me, "Do you remember?" Because he was hanging out with these friends and reminiscing about the good old days. And he said, "It's fascinating because as we're talking about it, nobody probably ever thought about the Super Bronc in recent years." He said, "You know, there was just a day that somebody rode the Super Bronc and then parked it in the shed, and the next day no one rode it, and then all winter no one rode it." Next summer, no one got it out and rode it, and day after day, twenty years went by, and now my brother and these friends are having this conversation, and the Super Bronc has been sitting in the shed where it was parked twenty years ago. It's fascinating, and the Super Bronc is a picture for me of forgetting. You know, in the case of that Super Bronc, we simply grew up and moved on moved on to other things and forgot about the super bronc. But when it comes to what you ate for lunch on Tuesday, you can forget that, but your body will not let you forget to eat. You know, like your hunger will force you to stop and figure out how to eat and nourish your body. And the question is, how does spiritual hunger work? How does forgetting and our relationship with God work, and I hate to think that our relationship with God can just get parked or hung up like a bicycle in a garage, or put on a shelf and stored away. But the truth is that we can get into this place of saying, "Ah, oh, I know that story," or "I've all, I've heard all this before," or, "Tim, seriously, we've had." 500 communions. What, what is there to learn? But I know that we can have things that are in our head that are very different than coming to the table and face-to-face coming to Jesus and receiving from him and being nourished by him. And I love the weekly rhythm of coming to the table. It is so beautiful because it's this place that we look forward to to come and meet with Jesus. Jesus. And I know that each week, people come in our blue doors, and they come in carrying in every possible emotion, you know, from like the highest height of joy down to the like lowest depth of despair. You know, they, people, you all come in carrying every possible burden that life has and knowing every possible brokenness that this life has to offer. And it is the hope coming through those blue doors that Jesus will meet us here at the table that keeps us going, keeps us coming back. Because when you come in the blue doors, the table awaits. And hopefully, you know, with some singing, we set up the table and we get it ready and we point to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And maybe in our opening the scriptures, you know, the word points us to understanding and thinking and knowing the Trinity. But it is absolutely when we come to the table that we have the opportunity to come face-to-face with Jesus, to encounter him, to be met by him with whatever thing we carried in, and for us to just hand that over, and for Jesus to take that, and for Jesus to pour out his grace to us. The table awaits every week where we can be nourished spiritually. And that is our hope. You know, when we were gathering video footage of all the stories from the last 10 years for our 10-year gala celebration, we um, got way more stories than we could put into the video for that celebration. And today I want to share one story where Rick is sharing with tears in his eyes some of the past year. And Rick is just one example of encountering God here at Platt Park Church and is one example of the ongoing, unfolding story of needing to come to the table and meet with Jesus week in and week out. Let's take a look.
1: A year ago this time, we found out my cousin had cancer. She's part of the reason why, you know, me and my wife moved back. She's the reason me and my wife are together. She was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer stage four, September last year. Passed away in the week before Easter. Um so that was a separate type type of a holy week for for me and my family. <clears throat> I felt I feel God put Plat Park, specifically Tim and Susie Gradé, in our lives to guide us through that. <laughs> they were they were really detrimental to me and my wife, as well as the whole community was just very supportive and to help us get through this clearly it's still a fresh wound but we have the family to to thank for that in this church thank you